everybody. Welcome to the Weird World Podcast, where we talk about weird things and record it in a podcast. My name's Carrie. Oh, I'm Jack. I'm Dean. And thanks, Carrie, for explaining to us what a podcast is. You're welcome. You never know. Um, We need to do some shout outs that we always forget to do. We're going to shout out Jordan, our favorite server. I don't like that word. What would you call her? Restaurant appropriator. That's not right. No. (laughs) Food service professional. Yeah. And she's the best. Yes, she is. Hi, Jordan. At Bonchon. Hi, Jordan. We haven't seen Jordan in like six months. Yeah. Thank you, COVID. Since the pre-COVID days. Hopefully they're open because California restaurants opened as of this week. Good to date us. I know. We hope she still works there (laughs) when we get back. Okay. What are you going to say? What are you going to tell us, Dean? Why don't I tell you a story? Something I know you're all familiar with. At least you think you are, but we're going to dig down deeper and find the origins of Men in Black. Oh. MIBs, MIBs, if you will. Right here, I'm going to play a snippet from the movie. Just something, anything. I don't know. Okay. Okay, then we'll come back. Tony Shalhoub. Yeah. But that's the movies. I've never seen it. You've really? never seen the movie Men in Black? Any mm-hmm. of them? Any of them. Did uh, you and him watch the one? How the many most have there been? How three many? now. Oh, I thought that was. I don't oh, think so. There's just, just three. Yeah, you're right. There's original, a sequel, and then uh, the third the new one, one with new people. I've seen snippets. Well, it's a great <laughs> movie. I've never seen an entire one. So I enjoy them. You really? might be familiar yeah. with Men in Black from the movies, but this is real life we're going to talk about here today. So let's first just describe what they are. And actually, Men in Black are described with kind of surprising variants. They're. Always, the one thing is that they always have these conservative dark suits on, black suit, black tie, white shirt, and often hats. Even in more recent times when it seems odd, they, ha- they often have hats on. And horn-rimmed glasses. No. Just sunglasses. Sometimes, not always. Yeah. But the, the suits and ties and hats, and suits and ties for sure, always. They're usually depicted as pretty nondescript, but once in a while they're depicted as very strange, very odd. In all, what way? All white men in suits look alike. <laughs> Um, Will Smith, <laughs> Carrie, thank you. Well, I'm, but we're not talking about the movie. You're Dean. right. You're right. Back in the day, they were usually white men. Wait, but and what? They do all kind of look alike. Yes, thank you. About them was odd. Well, they usually sp- spoke in kind of a monotone voice. Oh. And sometimes with an mm. accent that couldn't quite be placed. It's like, what was that exactly? Oh. Okay. Oh, that is weird. Yeah. Like an alien trying to fit in. Yeah, we'll get to that. Sorry. So <laughs> they always but but they always drove nice sedans like Buicks or Lincolns or Cadillacs. Ooh, I don't know if you that's better work. <laughs> that, back in the fifties and sixties, that was like, oh, it's like a Buick, you mean? Like a Lincoln, like a Cadillac? Okay, no, nah, I don't know that. Now they, they <laughs> probably drive dark Teslas. So <laughs> model three. Yeah. Their clothes <laughs> might seem a little odd. Too shiny. Or maybe the, the material is like undescribable, and they don't. Or their skin could also be pale, or sometimes a little bit darkish, or a little bit olive toned. Also, their eyes were often described as an indescribable color, and many times they were hairless. What? Like alopecia type hairless, like, oh, like huh. no, no hair whatsoever. Yes. Ballerinas. Ballerinas. Where, where are we talking yeah. about? What time frame? What? Oh yeah, we'll get into that. What universe? Oh. The oh, maybe ours, they're timeless. Our universe, Carrie, is okay. Earth. Okay. We'll talk about the time. Don't timeless. Worry. I've got very specific dates for you. Okay. 
They often have strange voices. I think I mentioned that. I love and it. they're in some way, sometimes at least a little bit misshapen. Like sometimes Ooh. they have these really weirdly skinny legs or sometimes <laughs> kind of hulking features or abnormally tall or something like that. They skip leg day every time. Yes, they did. They wore skinny jeans or skinny oh, dark slacks. I don't know. And sometimes the victims feel like they're put almost into a trance-like state in the presence of MIBs. Ooh. Huh. And of course, men in black are always, pretty much virtually always, always associated with UFOs. Uh-huh. That's the other hallmark, right? Most often, they are they show up when someone sees a UFO and talks about it, right? Right. They just kind of show up in their stereotypical car, and they interrogate that witness. What did you see? What did you think it was? And then they stick him with a shot to make him forget. Nope. Oh, that's the movie, right? That's The Simpsons, I believe. Well, they no. almost did that to Bart, but no, they didn't. They did Bart a flash. Lisa, I believe. Yeah, oh, the movie, they did a little nice. red flash that made you forget the last, oh, I don't okay. know, a few minutes or something like that. But that, that's from the movies. That was never in any of the lore. Oh, okay. They are at least vaguely threatening and sometimes pretty overtly threatening and intimidating. And they warn the witness, you're not ever going to talk about this oh, no. as long as you live. So they very, very often do exactly that. They're there to kind of find out what you know and then warn you not to talk about it. Wait, so the, in the real life men in black yes. lore, they don't <laughs> do anything to cause amnesia? No, they do oh, not. They interesting. just I warn didn't know you. That. Yeah, no, if they had the little red laser thing, they would use it. We didn't know about yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I mean. I didn't know movies. it was just an invention of Will Smith and that other guy. Probably that's not Will Smith, R. Tom Lee Jones. I'm going to go with the screenwriter. There is controversy within the UFO world, though, over whether there's some kind of government secret agents, like they're in the movie, or if they're actual aliens trying yeah. to you know, misdirect and squelch the truth about their presence here on Earth. Either way, they are kind of this cleanup crew, right? And even when thought to be human, again, they're almost always intimidating and say, nope, you're not going to talk about this. So MIBS really did not enter even like the fringe of the mainstream until about the 1960s. That was when there had uh-huh. been a couple of books about them. And they started to, to be increasingly talked about in the lore, you know, among UFO folks in UFO-related magazines or whatever. Ufologists. and enthusiasts and believers started to talk more and more about this thing called Men in Black and how they, oh, they, they you heard more stories of they were, I was visited huh. and blah, blah, blah. So they always tell I you don't know. talk about it. But it seems like everybody people, talks about everybody it. talks about it the next day. So <laughs> so that raises so some questions. Scary. It does. Then the comic book The Men in Black, released Ooh. in 1990, was a big success, and MIBs inched oh. a little bit closer to widespread notoriety. This is in '90, right? But then, of course, they exploded into the mainstream in 1997 with movie Men in Black, starring Tommy Lee Jones and Will that Smith. Was- 1997. 1997, I know. What, did you think it was earlier? No, I thought it was later. I thought it was like 2003 or four. No, because they didn't get the sequel a few years later. Wow. And then there was a generally panned third installment just a couple of years ago with Chris Hemsworth and Tessa, Tessa Thompson, Thompson that I actually thought was pretty solid. I like her. Underrated. I thought the movie was pretty good. It's a good movie. I don't know why, but it got like 27% Rotten Tomatoes or something See, terrible. that's why you can't trust that shit. Yeah, not always. Yeah, I mean, it's a good movie if you liked it. I thought so. Exactly. So, MIBs, MIBs, were possibly, possibly invented back in 1947, but also possibly in 19, in the early 1950s. I'd like a little more certainty. Well, hold in on. Your and they were given their name in 1956, but... 
We're going to start a little earlier than that when Mibs could go back even further. And this Uh-oh. is one of those things where I'm going to have, I'm going to go through a couple of stories here, and then I'm going to start the real story. You guys are going to go, Jesus Christ, you're just now starting the real story, so I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. Because <laughs> you've done that to me before. No, it's because you take too long to start the real well, story Well, this, this, this is the precursors to it. So John Keel, that's the writer who brought us the Mothman Prophecies, and was in real life a million times more delusional than portrayed by Richard Gere in the movie. He claimed, John Keel, that he was uh, told by a retired journalist named John Cole that back in 1924, he, Cole, had reported a story from Braxton County, West Virginia. It's always West Virginia. Mm, this one starts in West Virginia, but you're right. There is a lot of shit going on. It does. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of West Virginia and Kentucky shows mm-hmm. up in the UFO. Well, when your state world. has the same shape as a turkey, you got a weird shit going on. Makes perfect logic. No, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. That's sound. A farmer there in Braxton County, West Virginia, had seen a huge airplane crash into the forest. The farmer there said it was just like the fuselage, so no wings. It's this wingless. Fuselage-like shape that was the quote the size of a battleship. Jesus, Cole, big one. That's huge. Cole, the reporter, though, would later say it was seventy-five feet long, which means the farmer doesn't has never been on a battleship. (laughs) They're a lot bigger than a mini battleship. Yeah, Yeah, maybe so. So Cole reported his sighting, the farmer's sighting, to the sheriff. Right, the sheriff says okay. So he grabs a couple of his deputies and they head on out to the supposed crash site. Again, they think it's some kind of an airplane crash. To their surprise, they find five or six men already there combing over the crash site. Some were in shiny overalls, hmm. but others in that little group wore, wait for it, yeah. black suits and black ties. Uh-oh. One of the deputies sort of freaks out of this and says, by God, they're spies, and took out his gun and pointed it at those men. Wow. Oh, my God. It might have been because they were all America. described as being very small, like five feet tall, very short. But it might also have been because they are described as having olive skin and Wait. looked, quote, Asiatic. Oh, Jesus. Remember, so this is, these this short is men. <laughs> short, Asiatic-looking men. I'm surprised they didn't say they're Oriental. Probably did. Yeah. So um, apparently, though, the, these proto-mibs were afraid of guns because they hid in the wreckage of the airplane, <laughs> well, as the sheriff's you know gun t- toning deputies stood there and, well, and putting their guns at them, naturally, I'm so, afraid of guns too. Me too. F- yeah, I suppose you're right. Finally, one of them. I guess, Are you the, not? The, well, I know, but you're Mibs. You think you have? I don't know. They still probably like not impervious to gunfire. I suppose not. So one of them comes out finally. I guess the leader, and he goes to the sheriff, and he says, "Hey, hey, hey." We're just here to check out the crash and write, write a report on it. The sheriff accepted that and went on his way. Oh Jesus! He so bothered to ask him a white write a sheriff report for whom? Yeah, yeah, a white, uh, yeah, a white sheriff in 1924 in West Virginia. Yeah, yeah, dealing with quote unquote foreign looking men is just going to go on his merry way. Yeah, that's a that's a gigantic hmm. red flag from John Keel here. Keel. So it got weirder, weirder though when Cole, the reporter, he noted that. He had picked up a little object when he was out there at the crash site, right? Just just absently picked up something from the debris. He never describes, by the way, what that something was or what? shape like or looks like. He called it a thingamajig. Oh, so my he, God. He picked it up was a, a little black box. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> at 3 a.m. that morning, after he had been out to the crash, crash site, he was awakened by a rapping on his door. 
Yo, my name is Nope. <laughs> no, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna do a Mib accent or no, something? No, just gonna, no, start, gonna rapping. start rapping. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. It's good that you stopped yourself. That's yes, good. it is. That's a smart move. It was. I could only other. I can. The only thing I could do is copyrighted material. That's and fine. That's not okay. Ah, okay. What rap song hasn't stole someone else's copyrighted material? That's not so. how sampling works, <laughs> sir. It was He's a man just showed it in quote. One of those broad-brimmed hats they used to wear. That's what Cole said. What does that mean? He, he told he. This is what he told Keel decades later. So the bowler hat. So I don't. I think that means it was ahead of the time. I don't know fedora. Maybe I don't know a fedora. He wore huh. a kind of army uniform though, huh. but otherwise he recognized him as one of the men that was out there snooping around. One of the short Asiatic men out there <laughs> snooping around at the crash site, right? So the guy says the, the visitor says you picked up something today. We need it back. Cole goes, okay, he knew what he did. He picked it, he, he went back to his pants, and sure enough, it was just in his pocket there. Oh, it was that small. Yeah, it was, okay. yeah, it was just a little thing he picked up, put in his pocket. The, uh, he brings it back out to the visitor at the doorway there, and he, he says, is this, you know, what you need? And the, and the MIB, who's in an army uniform and a hat, so he's not really quite a MIB yet, he just snatches it out of his palm, turns away, walks away, and he disappears, and Cole, the reporter, would say that, he didn't have a horse or a car. He just sort of disappeared into the night. He doesn't know how he got there or how he left. A horse. But back in 1924 in, West, in rural West Virginia, say, yeah. there yeah. were still people riding horses. Oh, I know. Sure. Yeah. So when Cole returned to the crash site sometime later, everything was gone. Huh? All the debris, the fuselage, all that stuff was gone. There were just some decimated trees showing where the crash had occurred, but that's Poor it. trees. How long later? The next day? I, you know, it doesn't, it's not clear from what I read. It's, it seems like fairly soon, though. Okay. Well, uh, I had day. church the next yeah. day, okay. so he couldn't go then. Yeah, he had stuff. He probably had okay. to do... He had a deadline, carry. Okay. Note, and, and again, neither Cole nor Keel ever said what the thingamajig was or what it looked like, which <laughs> yeah. is also a little... Because they were silenced by the men in black. Maybe No, they are actually writing about it in a book <laughs> here. So, really, like, you know how Bigfoot, when Bigfoot first became a big deal in the late 1950s, suddenly you had some people coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, yeah. well, I saw one of those decades ago, years ago, whatever. 100%. This is, you know, mm-hmm. this is kind of like that. Because Keel's writing this, I believe this is in his book from the late 60s, when, when MIBs in the UFO lore had become a big deal. So, you know. But let's flash forward to July, I'm sorry, June 27th, 1947. Harold Dahl was gathering logs on the eastern eastern side of Maury Island in Puget Sound, Harold Washington. Oh. He was with his son, Charles, and their dog. Ahead of them, they look up and they see six donut-shaped <laughs> aircraft hovering or flying above about, they say, maybe a half mile in the air. Huh. They are um, curious, needless to say, and they were staring at it, when staring at all six of those craft, when suddenly one of them drops about 1,500 feet toward them and over them. And as it does this, metallic debris begin to rain down oh. on them and on their boat. Some of the debris hits young Charles, the son, and breaks his arm. Jeez. Whoa. Some I mean, of it, metal. well, far sadder still, some of it hits the doggy and Aww. kills it. Oh, that's that's going to be the dog. saddest part of the story. Well, that's good. So Dahl, though, um, grabs his camera and takes some pictures. Yes, in the 1947, most people had a camera on their working log boat of some sort, so let's not question that. Um, but he takes some pictures with his camera, 
and he, when he, I guess, got back in, whatever, he shows the, the pictures. It says, the story I read says he shows the pictures to a supervisor, a man named Fred Crisman. And apparently it's that almost immediately. So Crisman didn't believe Dull's story. So he, Crisman, he, Crisman, went back to the scene and he saw the UFOs himself. They were still there. Exactly. This begs the obvious question. Yeah. One thing, I guess, A, did they have one hour film processing in 1947? No. The answer is no. No. It would have to wait Uh, to the 1970s. It took an hour just to take the picture. Yeah. So even if (laughs) Dahl, even if the first part, Dahl has to get the film, even say he got filmed in a few hours, and then, and Crisman goes, I don't believe this, and goes out to the site. That means the UFOs are waiting around for Fred Crisman to come out there and verify them. Yeah. The circling. Just raining little problem with that the next day doll he was the original witness who took the pictures mm-hmm. he was accosted by a single man in black just one black suit black tie white shirt remember the the one back in 1924 was vaguely like it there were some people out there but when he came to the yep. door he's in an army uniform so i don't know if we're counting that hey, wait is this a dumb question did they have sunglasses back then oh sure absolutely how old was his son just check Doesn't know. Doesn't say. Let's go with 11. I imagine he knew. but <laughs> Knew what? <laughs> How old his son was. Yes. Because oh, you I'm... said doesn't know. I don't oh. know. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know. He didn't know, so he was unable to report it. Now, somehow, Dahl know. and this man in black end up at a diner <laughs> in town. <laughs> so, it's you know what? man in black. Let me, let me get you some... Steak piece of pie. They got a brunch. Piece, a nice piece, a nice piece of raspberry pie. I don't know why I said that. That is. Fun We're gonna have rhubarb raspberry pie. The, so the Mib at the diner, he recounts Dahl's story in detail. Now again, let me repeat that. The man in black tells Dahl everything about his story, including all the details, and he says, "What I have said to you is proof that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe." I guess that's meant to be ominous and warning. Yeah. Yeah. And and indeed, the man in black, the man in black, warned Dahl not to talk about the incident ever again. And he apparently well, obeyed for several decades until John Keel got it out of him in the hmm. late 1960s. Honestly, yeah, doesn't sound overly threatening. Doesn't, not too much. But and indeed, that is not the true origin of the men in black. That story was not told in 1953, and then it was not brought into into sort of widespread attention until 1956, when a man named Gray Barker wrote a book about it. No, 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 no. Few people know the true origin of the men in black and the man who made them. Men in black actually owed their existence to Alfred K. Bender. Heard of him? Bender, no. No one has. If any of you at home are saying, yeah, no, I know who that is, you're probably you're a liar. lying. So knock it off. Just listen. I love, wh- I love that. When people are like, yeah, I totally <laughs> no, know who that is. African Bender, are you kidding me? Yeah, no. Heard all he ain't even real. I mean, I'm sure some of you might. Some of you, some of you big Mib fans probably know about Alfred. Alfred. But his story is little known, but he is absolutely without question the origin of Men in Black, which has now become this huge global phenomenon. So first of all, let's have a little UFO background. The ufological world at this time, this is the early 1950s, it was becoming more paranoid and more conspiratorial. We're not going to go into, we don't have time to go into it now, but, you know, 1947 was the famous Kenneth Arnold sighting where the word flying saucer came from, and fairly quickly it became very widespread. People started seeing flying saucers, and and the word UFO became a thing fairly quickly. It happens all the time. Yeah. It was quite a fun, it really caught, it was just well-timed. So, anyway... By the early 1950s, they were getting very fearful, and 
the road, the path from fear to paranoia is a very, very easy one. So sure. they're starting to get really paranoid. Tell me about it. <laughs> what, <laughs> mom is very paranoid? It's a experience. <laughs> Tell me about it, the paranoia. Mm, mm, mm. It's 2020. Yeah. So an early and very popular UFO book written by Harold T. Wilkins and published in 1954, so right around the same time, he worried that, quote, a cosmic general staff could even now be plotting a real-life war of the worlds. Sure. So the, the, the community was getting scared. There's, yeah. like, a lot of people portrayed UFOs as menacing and going to do bad things to us. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of UFO uh, mythology was becoming very, very paranoid. This, of course, is classic behavior of a kind of a fringe group that believe, believes it has secret knowledge, but little proof of that knowledge, right? Yeah. There has to be some reason you cannot find that proof or, or why yeah. people don't believe you. Mm -hmm. So you invent some kind of a hurdle or, or a bogeyman, right? <laughs> And you make yourself into a martyr. You're the courageous fighter. And you're only, the only reason you're losing the battle, or not everyone has accepted your story, is because some powerful group is arrayed against you. This is classic, classic behavior. Name any conspiracy-minded group, and they have some version of that, I yeah, guarantee Yeah, it's usually it. the government. Yeah. Very, birds aren't real. Increasingly lately, it's the government. <laughs> and the fact that birds aren't real, which is a, a fact, is definitely the government covering that up. Mm -hmm. Yep. So this ominous group, warns off the truth tellers and, and covers up evidence and early UFO believers, they were exactly that kind of group that needed some kind of, some entity to blame for the truth not being out there, or at some least that not being clear. Scapegoat. They really did. Oh, no, no, it's, it's really, it's, it's oh, an enemy. Really. Yeah. It's a powerful enemy. The man. That's why uh -huh. they can't convince the whole world. The men in black. Yeah. So enter Albert Bender. A little background on Albert. He was born in, on June 16, 1921 in Duryea, Pennsylvania. No idea if that's pronounced right. D-U-R-Y-E-A. Hmm. It's not too far from Scranton in northeast Pennsylvania. I don't know, maybe oh. 125 miles northwest of New York City. Go ahead, Carrie. I was going to say, maybe Joe Biden knows him. Probably yeah. does. Alfred K., but no, probably mm -hmm. not. Or he knows his, or his dad knew him. Yeah, let's go with that. When he was 18 years old, he, uh, this is Alfred K. Bender, not Joe Biden, by the way. <laughs> and still in high school, West Pittston, Bender actually got some attention in the local newspapers. He had written dozens of letters to strangers throughout the world, and he asked them for things from his country, from their country, like sand or currency, something yeah, like that. That's hey, cool. That is kind of cool. Yeah. And some have responded and sent him stuff. So he, had, he was kind of this little mini instant celebrity when the news started covering that story. This is the late 1930s, by the yeah. way. He joined the Army Air Corps in 1942. As you know, that was the precursor to the Air Force. And he worked as a clerk and or a dental technician in the, uh, in, and was always <laughs> stateside. I, I, you hear it both ways, so maybe he was both. But he, was always, he never went to overseas to war. He was always in the United States at bases here fixing soldiers' teeth, apparently. He was discharged, and he went back to live in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where his family had moved in the meantime. So he went there, and he lived with, with his mother, Ellen, and his stepfather, Michael Andalino, at 784 Broad Street, which is now gone. Whatever that means. What? I don't know anything about no 784 address. Broad Street. Bridgeport, Connecticut. Is for Bridgeport any like hoity-toity? Uh, it can be. It's not too far from New York City. Oh, okay. it's on. You know, Greenwich. It's not like Greenwich, but it's it's. I don't. I think there's some baddie, but not hoity-toity parts in Bridgeport and some okay. hoity-toity to use the 
phrase. Yeah. Uh, that the hoity-toity. You Carrie, know what I mean. Carrie made me say the word hoity-toity. Yes. So Bender worked as a timekeeper at Acme Shear Company. Ooh. What? I know that sounds like a fake job and oh, a fake no. company. But yes, anything Acme. It's not. It's it was a cartoon oh. company. They, they were the biggest no, manufacturer of scissors in the world at the time. Wow. So it was real, man. Now and they've been taken over by Fiskars. Sure. I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> Fiskars Scissors. Okay. I'll take your word for it. That's a thing. I don't, don't, I don't know nothing about scissor manufacturing, Carrie. I you know should. very little about that. I guess, I guess a, a timekeeper, I guess, like shifts, right? You know, okay, you go home. I don't know exactly what a timekeeper did. It's oh. not a thing anymore, I'm sure. I don't know. All I know is there's a really good song by Grace Potter and the Nocturnals called Timekeeper. I think it's about mm. this guy. It's about yep. Al- Alfred. It is. Huh? I didn't know that. He apparently loved time, though, because he filled his attic apartment. So he lived above his parents. And like, it, had, it was an attic bedroom with a little adjoining kind of den. And that's where he lived, on a th- in a little three-story house in Bridgeport. And his little space there, he filled with about 20 clocks. And they would, That's crazy. It's huh? every like fifteen to thirty minutes, they would all have this cacophony of chimes. Perfect example of somebody taking their work home. Oh, ooh. <laughs> okay. I want I want everyone to know. Carrie raised her finger there. She she had. I want to get this in. Give me a moment to tell my joke. <laughs> Quote unquote joke. I'm going to put quotes around that. So it appears Bender was weird from the jump though because he used to make yeah haunted house decorations for his room oh that's not weird uh, you know what I like this guy well that, he that depicted that cool yeah okay he depicted scenes from horror movies on the walls um that's, that's a little bit weird no no okay. all right all right bitch all right this all right. that's very 2020 normal this yeah. man sounds ahead of his time in his late 20s, still living at home in his attic, he also, decorated his yeah, room with... Super normal 2020. Fake skulls, shrunken heads, and little monstrous collectibles in his room? Getting no, weirder? No. no. Okay. okay. You're right. talking to the wrong people. If <laughs> I you're guess so. To <laughs> when his friends would come over, and yes, apparently he had friends, he would play this eerie music and sound effects like untr- uncontrolled <laughs> weeping and hissing noises for them while his friends came <laughs> hey, over. That is funny to me. We had the Haunted House album, I believe you did too. During Halloween. Baby he did Creaky all the time. Doors. All these things you do all the time. These were not just Halloween things. Something about that is, seems a little harmless to me. He, very harmless. He told people his ancestors were witches and he, <laughs> and he called his attic the Chamber of Horrors. <laughs> So I don't know. Still, maybe we disagree, but I think those are all super, super, well, super obvious red flags for a serial killer. Our daughter's a little witchy. Yeah, a little bit. She went to a witch yeah. hat. Yep. Oh, by Witches the way, Rachel, if you if you get a witch hat hey, yeah. and wear it outside of October, I'm disowning you. <laughs> Witches are fun. Yeah. I Do like. I think it's all bullshit? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But is it very fun? Also yes. Okay. However, what? we were at late. Yes, we were dinner this early early, early dinner, late okay. lunch, whatever. Yeah. And Leonard. we were talking about how our daughter, Rachel High, wanted a witch hat. And I went to the bathroom. When I came back, I saw a woman sitting at a table wearing the exact <laughs> witch hat that Rachel wants. To date, when we're recording this, it was very early October. <laughs> yes. So kind of okay. If that's November, not so okay. Not? If that's June, very not okay. It's cold in November. You need a hat. Okay. Very right. few people in Southern California are wearing hats in June. We're, we, we're in Northern California, Wait. by the way. She's in Southern California. Oh, okay. All right. Knucklehead. <laughs> he is probably wearing a witch hat. What? Yeah. He, maybe so. Bender. He probably did. Or a wizard hat. Okay. So okay. in 1952, <laughs> Bender is now 31 years old, and he's still living with his mom and his stepfather. He starts a group called the International Flying Saucer Bureau, the IFSB. I'm sure hmm. you've heard of it. 
this was before, I, I get, this is before the, the term UFO had become really the accepted term. So again, the early term was flying saucer. We go back to Kenneth Arnold where he just said he saw the, the, the objects he said looked like saucers skipping across the sky. So some reporters said, oh, they're like flying saucers. So flying saucer was the term that every, as we now say UFOs, in the late 40s and 50s, and I'm not, I'm not sure up until when, they would pretty much always say flying saucers. Huh. Yeah, I mean, still, honestly, to this day. You still hear, now absolutely. you pretty much oh, you hear UFOs now. I you hear flying saucers. You rarely saucer. hear flying yeah. saucer. But, yeah. They're not as interchangeable, yeah, yes, but I hear flying saucer a lot. Yeah. yeah. He, Bender, was able to scrounge up uh, several hundred dollars. I'm sorry. Bender was able to scrounge up several hundred members oh. for for his IFSB worldwide, though. That's very different. Well, but he was not How the you scrounge up people. He just was, oh. was able to advertise, and he started, and I don't know, got the Having word out. Okay. A ragtag bunch of misfits. Haven't yeah. you seen any movie ever, Mom? He was into UFO uh, flying saucers at the time, so they kind of, you know, there weren't that many, so yeah. they had means of communication. He got the word out that I started this group, and so 600 people joined up. Again, worldwide. Don't That's, be that impressed. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm impressed. When was this? 19, early 19, by 52, I believe. I'm still kind of impressed yeah. that you were able to get a like, consistent correspondence between hundreds of members worldwide in 1952. But it wasn't the kinds of engineers and scientists and serious researchers that he was looking for. It was just sort oh. of, you know, true believer types. Well, so he's yeah. Looking, yeah. Sorry, sir, you're not going to find too many of those <laughs> yeah. in the audience you're looking for. Well, through. modern UFO people often uh, sort of portray the IFSB as if it did have those people. And oh, they had all wow. these really serious people, and that's just not true. No, no, no. Or they had way, way more than they did. That's just not, not true. Almost like it was a private project blue book doing really oh, serious, wow. well-resourced investigations. Absolutely not true. I don't think so. It was really just a fellow few, um, kind of true believers being led by this 30-something guy living in his, literally in his parents' attic. It's wow, like the Catholic you're very lead. judgy. I don't mean to be. Yes, you do. I think you do. <laughs> I kind of do. So later in 1952, Bender started a magazine called Space Review. Oh, that's fun. R-E-V-U-E. No, 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 no. <laughs> I-E-W. Readers and contributors were, like Bender, basically UFO enthusiasts and believers. And he w- took the subject very, very seriously. He wasn't just some, that's you know, yeah. Yeah. looking for something to do or, or to make some money. He was a very, very serious believer in it. And he really wanted to take it seriously and research it. Unfortunately, though, as we will see, early on, Bender hooked up with a young writer named Gray Barker. Barker supposedly shared this interest in UFOs with Bender, but really all Barker cared about was that he wanted to make some money and get some attention. He was a writer, and this was kind of a you know a trendy thing, so he started writing about UFOs. He wrote a piece for Fate magazine about the Flatwoods alien sighting oh, incident yeah, in 1952, yeah. which we'll one day do on this show. And so eventually, and this brought him to the attention of Bender. They met. He started writing some pieces for Bender, and eventually... Barker became Bender's really chief writer and investigator on Space Review, the magazine. Mm. But again, he was more huckster than he was an enthusiast. And he wrote that um, Bender wanted, he wrote basically whatever Bender wanted to believe. So it was a, a match made in heaven for them for a little while anyway. He was like his little ghost writer. Ben, uh, he, or is it uh, Bender was a, a horrifically bad writer, so it actually <gasps> worked out well. We'll see that in a little bit, yeah. why that's true, but he, he was a terrible writer. And Gray Barker was a, you know, a, a polished writer, so he would write all the, all, most of the articles came to be written by Barker for Space Review. So Bender makes a monumental announcement in the July 1953 is, issue of Space Review. 
Bender says he was in the possession of certain secret information that would prove <gasps> the existence of UFOs, flying saucers, <laughs> and aliens, and would completely redefine how we viewed the whole flying saucer phenomenon. He would publish these reservations in the upcoming October issue. Very exciting stuff. So imagine everyone's surprise when October rolls around, the issue comes out, or a magazine is probably what, you know, it's probably early September. And um, we you know how they used to do that. Remember they yeah. used to, yeah. uh, that's the November yeah. issue, I swear to God, it would be in late September. Yeah. So everyone yeah. surprise. I'm sorry. So imagine everyone's surprise when we're going to cut that first, that last part. Oh. Oh, it's not necessary. So imagine everyone's surprise when instead of the revelation that he promised for the October issue, it was a kind of capitulation. Huh. His announcement read, "Quote." I'll quote a little bit at length here. Ready? Oh God. Late bulletin. All caps. A source of which the IFSB considers very reliable has informed us that the investigation of the flying saucer mystery and the solution is approaching its final stages. The same source to whom we had referred data, which had come in our, to our which had come into our possession, suggested that it was not the proper method and time to publish the data in space review. Uh-huh. And then all caps again, statement of importance. <laughs> Quote, the mystery of the flying saucers is no longer a mystery. The source is already known, but any information about this is being withheld by order from a higher source. Mm. We would like to print the full story in space review, but because of the nature of the information, we are very sorry that we have been advised <laughs> in the negative. We advise those who engaged in saucer work to please be very cautious. Okay, but... Quote. Sorry, but saucer work is one of the best words <laughs> I've ever work. heard. That's what it was called. Like, that's what the people who huh. spin the saucers on the sticks, that's yes, what they do. Maybe, but he meant a different kind. Oh, so I basically, I've got the secret. I know what it is. Somebody really big and scary said not to reveal it, and all you other people out there looking for the truth, watch Be your back. Careful. Oh, I see where this is that's going. And this source we would later discover was three men in black. Huh. So in the October issue... Though Bender had warned everyone out there reading this and, and active in the UFO community to be careful. Wait, hold on. What the fuck did I say that for? I have no idea. <laughs> that was a weird so, sentence. <laughs> okay, so this he said that in the October issue. He he warns everyone away, right, and says, "I can't tell you the truth." And very shortly thereafter, Bender ceased publication of the Space Review and then wow. dissolved the IFSB. Oh my God! So he just blocked checked and out, reported everybody, checked out oh. of the business completely. He told staff and even told some newspaper reporters at the time. There are articles in Bridgeport newspapers at the time. Yeah. He said he had been visited by three men in black. And he describes them in the classic men in black way with the suits and the ties and the, and the nice and the white shirt and the nice car. This is the first real clear, cla what we would now call a classic men in black type of, of an encounter. So this is this is for sh sure the true origin of Ben and Black. His, his parents probably hired three actors to do this. To, to, <laughs> oh my God. No, it was just them too. To it was his mom and off. dad. His mom and dad <laughs> and a friend. So he was warned away by, quote, three men wearing dark suits, end quote, who had told him in no uncertain terms that he was to stop all his UFO investigation activities immediately. He apparently took that to mean in a, little, in a little while because he kept it around for a short time. But anyway. Did they tell him also to um, get a real job and move out of his parents' house? <laughs> <laughs> now who's being judged, Jerry? They said, hey, you loser. <laughs> I mean, son. I mean, uh, Mr. Bender. Yes. It was a confusing story, actually. The visitation was apparently the source of his knowledge, right? 
It's not clear. Did what? he get this knowledge and this data that he said he had proving the existence of whatever blowing the yeah. b- before that visit from the MIBs or from that visit? I would because say he talks probably. Ab- he must have got it before. And the, um, so there must have been multiple visits because he got the information, as we'll find out later, from these people. Yeah. And, but then they warn him off after he makes his big announcement, don't publish the October episode with all... The, uh, addition with all that information. So he said he got the information from those people? Yes. He would oh. later say this. I'll get, I'll get oh, that. Okay. It's very confusing. That doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. He so here's here's all the secrets. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You, you the magazine, the UFO researcher yeah. who has a magazine, we're going to publicize that? No, 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 no. Quit. Quit right now. That's apparently what happened. Yeah. So it, it's it's not clear. I think, it's, I think he did discover the truth on his own. Or, or, or I guess he could have discovered the truth on his own. Somehow, yeah. and then he said, "I'm going to tell it all in the October edi- edition." And <laughs> then they came and warned him away. Right, that so, makes more sense. But when they came, we'll see later when they when, when the uh, Men in Black did visit him, they were free with the info. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So anyway, <laughs> wait, at this time, wait, what is she carrying? <clears throat> her blanket. Oh, okay. Her blanket. entire blanket. <laughs> it's killing me. You're a kook. Ah, so, sorry. That's all right. At this time, however, Bender was apparently outwardly affected. His friends, now again, at least allegedly from more recent writers. So I, I don't know oh. that it's contemporaneous. Yeah. Like the newspapers don't say, and his friends said he was losing weight and blah, blah, blah. But later UFO writers, much later UFO writers would say that his friends said these things. Well, yeah. you don't get that. Uh, yeah, so did you get that? Exactly. Yeah. They claimed that he was acting differently. He was more subdued. It, one friend allegedly said it was as if he had been lobotomized, unquote. Okay. He didn't eat for days, and he constantly felt sick, and he would absolutely refuse to talk to anyone about what, why he folded Damn. up shop. Hmm. Again, according to later right. UFO writings, he supposedly did this at the time. He did, though, however, the whole idea that I was visited by three people, that's in newspapers of the time. He did oh, make okay. that claim there. Yeah. Okay. Wow, so it's possible. It's possible that friends did say this to somebody. It's not yeah. impossible. I just don't know yeah. where they got that information from. So Mibs and Men in Black kind of still weren't a thing. Again, maybe a, a few people who read the Bridgeport Courier Times, I have no idea, <laughs> were aware of this story, but almost no one until three years later when Gray Barker connected the Maury Island story with that what sounds like a man in black who took him to a diner, Yeah, with the Albert Bender story. Again, his former boss, his editor, who uh, told his story in 1953. So three years later, uh, Gray Barker writes a book called They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. <laughs> very, very on point <laughs> Great title. title. Yeah. This is 56. <laughs> this was the first time that Men in Black were written about to a relatively white audience and were called Men in Black. Mm. I thought you said relatively white. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I guarantee you that shit was always white. Very, very, not relatively, 100%. Hang on, pause. Yes. Uh, Billy was just running around with her blanket. Billy was. The Billy whole was. blanket. Carrying it around. This is so cute. Yeah. And when so Loki came adorable. near it, she, she snatched it, it up back. and took it right back. <laughs> hey, buddy. Okay, ready? Yes. According to Barker, Bender was visited by, quote, three men in black suits with threatening expressions on their faces, three men who walk in on you and make certain demands, three men who know that you know what the saucers really are, Uh-oh. end quote. The rest of the story is just pretty much is 
Bender's story, how they threatened him and told him to stop publishing about UFOs, how Bender was terrified, didn't eat for three days. Friends quizzed him on the, on the change and what he had written and then why he had stopped the magazine, but he wouldn't talk about it. Some thought maybe he just wants to stop because he's losing money yeah. and it's not really taken off. The, uh, and the IFSB had his all 600 members worldwide. They thought he was just discouraged and he wanted to quit. It was just a, sort of a dramatic way to stop a, what was a, a failed yeah. endeavor, essentially. Yeah. Got to go out with a bang. Yeah. And he had to have a really good excuse. Mm-hmm. That's a great excuse. Yeah. I, again, I was warned yeah. away by this powerful, scary entity yeah. to stop telling the truth, but I know it, so I'm special. It's not because my mom told me I got it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> my, mom my mom said. told me I need to at least go down to the general store. <laughs> and I said, Mom, I'm 32. I can do what I want. <laughs> so... Remember that when Barker, remember though that when Barker wrote They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, I was going to say that title, in 1956, <laughs> Bender had, even according to Barker, refused to tell anyone about why. So apparently everybody except Barker is not clear how he got the details of Bender's story in order to tell it and write about it. So possibly hmm. he just made it up. And it turns out Gray Barker was a fraud. He was a storyteller. He wasn't a journalist at all. He had absolutely no problem of exaggerating or just flat out inventing anything that might sell a story. He was infamous for this. Gross. In the 1957, in 1957, he and a guy named James Mosley, who was the publisher of a magazine called Saucer News, they wrote a fake letter. So they got they they did fake State Department letterhead. They wrote a letter and they sent it to George Adamski. We may have mentioned that in the past here. It's not the person you're thinking, oh, I know. Okay. This George Adamski was a, a mid-1950s supposed UFO abductee. Abductee. <laughs> and he had recently claimed that he had been abducted by aliens, and he, he became somewhat well-known. So Barker and Mosley write Adamski this letter on State Department letterhead, basically detailing how the government knew all about UFOs huh. and they had evidence in their existence and uh-huh. hey he should keep out out there you know keep getting out there and telling everyone about his experiences what the shit? I think that's a crime it's pretty should evil. be Adamski and others would use this letter later on to claim that UFOs were real and here's proof the government admitted it yeah. so he and, and, and in fact Barker himself would use that in his own book claiming this proof government existed when he knew he had written the fake letter in the first place. So that's the kind of guy Gray Barker was. A fraud. Yeah. Yes, he yeah. was. Uh, Barker told the Maury Island story in that same 1956 book and that um, it placed Mitt... Wait, hold on. Placed Mitt Romney? No. <laughs> Barker had told the Maury Island story in that same 1956 book's book, right? As, as, so it's the Bender story and the Moore Island story, and this sort of makes uh, Men in Black real, right? Yeah. It turns out that the Moore Island story was also a hoax. Oh my gosh. Apparently. Well, are you surprised? Yeah. I don't are know you? what to believe but, in. Uh, but an overt, purposeful hoax, not any kind of mistaken thing. Apparently the U.S. government did investigate this, this story back in 1947. Uh, according to this story about that, Dahl and Chrisman that was the, the Harold Dahl who supposedly saw it, his boss, Fred Crisman, yep. they tried to sell their story to a fantasy magazine in Chicago. Mm-hmm. This was a few weeks or so after Kenneth Arnold's famous sightings to the magazine. So in other words, they went to this Chicago magazine a few weeks after Kenneth Arnold made Flying Saucers suddenly a thing, right? Yeah. And they say, hey, this actually happened to us before Kenneth's uh, incident, and here's what happened, the, the debris and all that. Yeah. And uh, so... That editor of that Chicago magazine 
he had interviewed, and he now knew Kenneth Arnold, and he knew Kenneth Arnold was out there in Washington. Isn't that convenient? So he called up Kenneth Arnold and said, hey, would you look into this story for me and go out and talk to these guys that happening? He, you're not too far away. Kenneth Arnold, I believe, was in Seattle area. And so Arnold said, I sure will. Arnold, had, by this time, he'd become a real true believer in UFOs, right? <laughs> he says, sure will. How do you, why are you looking at me like that? How am I looking at you? You're looking at me like I just said something dumb. What did I say? <laughs> well, Howdy? They don't tell me when I mispronounce <laughs> words, and they really should in real time because then... Oh, are you fucking kidding stop me? Stop it. Stop it. You've gotten <laughs> mad at me before no, for I did not. telling you when no, you mess up on no, words. No, so no, absolutely no, not. No. So Rejected. Kenneth Arnold says, I'll look into it. In fact, I'll do one better. He calls some contacts at Army Intelligence. <laughs> Why does Whoa. he have all these contacts? Kenneth Arnold yeah. was a pilot, and he knew people oh, in Army Intelligence. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. <laughs> he, he did. Somehow oh. he did. So the Army was intrigued, and they sent two investigators out to investigate. Again, this is right about when the Army Air Corps was going to become the Air Force. So the Army still yeah. had control of that. Yeah, let me take that shit seriously. Let me I go. mean, it was something in the sky that did rain down debris and kill a dog. Oh, okay, I guess they probably thought it was. Who knows? They the didn't Russians. know the Russians. When was this? Forty-seven. Forty-seven. They probably thought it was the Germans. No, that'd be the Soviets, not the Germans. Germans so were, I was were right. vanquished. Close enough. The uh, vanquished. <laughs> vanquished. Well, you know what? I didn't mean be mean about it. I, I didn't mean like let's bully him. Really kill me and bully me relentlessly. Yeah. Damn. No, I take that back. <laughs> I was I was going to compliment you on how well you said crash site over and over again. Oh, okay. Good and job. And then he said vanquished. And then you. So okay, so is it if it's a nice sandwich? You got to say something nice now. It's not I'm a waiting. nice sandwich. I'm waiting. Though. No, it's not. It's, it's an open face sandwich. It's an open yeah. face. Open face. Okay. The meanness is the meat. So. <laughs> Now, this is kind of a serious thing because you have Chrisman and Dahl suddenly have these two army investigators out there asking about, okay, so what happened? Yeah, and, and they show us your kid's broken arm. That's <laughs> what I us, would say. Show us your dead dog. Dig it up. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, kind of, yeah, you would I want, mean, if you're yeah. actually investigating it, you would want Need to see evidence. all of that. Sure. So they got scared and they folded. Huh. And they admitted that it was a hoax and they're just trying to make some money from a selling story. Oh, my goodness. Did the army not then shoot them in the head? Just kidding. No. But I guess they had shown the metallic debris to people by this time, and so the investigators got a hold of it, and, they, and it was aluminum. It was nothing. Yeah. I was going to say just metal shavings. Yeah. So the investigators, though, did not tell Kenneth Arnold about this because they didn't want to embarrass him. Kenneth Arnold was a nice guy, and they didn't want to embarrass him. Hey, you fell for a really lame story that they just told us admitted as a hoax. So they didn't. So they uh, went back to Washington. That's nonsensical. Well, They're not good why? friends. Well, of yeah. Why I mean, would, if yeah. you're really friends with Kenneth, you would tell him. I don't yeah. think so. You'd want to avoid it because it's embarrassing for him. You don't want to no. embarrass him why? to his face. No, because you got to let... No, Kenneth, you're no. stupid. Now, in real life, people don't want to embarrass their friends. Yeah, no, but look how I dumb would tell them if they're wrong. Yeah. What, so okay, they don't you know get, what, guys? They didn't. That's all that matters. <laughs> oh, right? I know. But I'm <laughs> okay. saying that they're wrong for right. that. Okay. I just said it was nonsensical. So then they don't get tricked again in the future. Exactly. Sure. Okay, we're moving on now. So the two investigators were they, they went back to the airport and they, f they had flown in on a B-25, right? From Washington to, to I'm sorry, from Washington, D.C. to Seattle area. They got on their B-25, flew back to Washington, D.C., and during the trip, the plane was hit by lightning and crashed, killing both oh. investigators. So Kenneth Arnold would go on thinking, is there something to this? Never knowing that it was debunked. Yeah. So maybe they should have told him. How Damn. do we know this now? I don't know. Stories. 
<laughs> I forget. Uh, I forget my source now. Maybe they submitted their report before they got on the plane to go back. Maybe. They must have told okay. somebody, yeah. So Bender, Alfred Bender, he carries on, but uh, he, again, he's abandoned any kind of public investigation or advocacy for UFOs. Oh. The Men in Black had become something of a thing, though, but mainly on the real UFO fringe even after 1956, again, it was, it was Barker's book, so not that many people knew about it, yeah. right? But then in 1962, Bender himself comes clean. Now, by this point, Uh-oh. the whole MIB phenomenon had started to, it, it was in the UFO lore. There's just like in. sightings and things like that. It, you know, it wasn't a big mainstream kind of a thing, but within the UFO enthusiast circles, it was, had become a little bit more of a thing. Mm-hmm. So Bender says, I'm going to write my own damn book and tell my story myself. Uh-oh. It is ah. called Flying Saucers and the Three Men in Black. Mm. That sounds like a like a children's story. <laughs> it does. It can maybe well in this case, uh, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, <laughs> but the space version, <laughs> the scary space version. This is again. This is ten years after the alleged incident. Barker had actually collaborated on this book though too. So he was, again, Barker was probably just looking for a payday. Say, hey, why don't you write a book? I'll help you. And uh, we'll, we'll make, share the profit. We'll, we'll share the profit, seriously. <laughs> it, figuring it can make him both some money. That's, that's exactly yeah. true. So Bender apparently really did write it, though, because we know this, because the book is said to be completely unreadable and incomprehensible. It's just Aww. utter nonsense. What do you say? Impossible. I, I read one I guy. Really like Arthur. One guy, um, Albert. Albert. One guy invested. Oh, how much do you really like him? You <laughs> yeah. don't even know his fucking name. <laughs> A modern, you know, investigator said that I got through half and I just could not keep going. It's it's unbelievable. Have you really? tried to read it? I have Can not you tried find it? it? I, you, you no. Know, you can't, I, I checked, well, not on Kindle. <laughs> I couldn't find it on Kindle. I couldn't find it in the library. So I, I'm sure it's paperbacks. I bet you can get it on eBay, paperback, yeah. Amazon, sorry, Amazon or something like that. Uh, physical, actual paperback, but I don't yeah. read, phys- haven't read physical books in many years. Well, you could. <sighs> if you were a true researcher doing thorough research. I, everything's <laughs> available kidding. electronically. Apparently not this. That's why I'm going to up talk. So Bender said in the book, in his book there had been precursors to his fateful visit by the three infamous men in black. He said that shortly after he started the IFSB, his health began to flag, began to feel sickly. Poison in the water. He got strange mm. phone calls and even telepathic communications. Oh, uh-oh. uh-oh. Also known as voices in his head. So you two who were saying what a great guy he was, uh, get ready. So... Um, does it negate that? I suppose, yes, it does. He believed he was being watched, also known as paranoid delusions. So now yes. he has got voices in the head and paranoid delusions. At the movies one day, he went to the theater just to wind down in November of 1952. He saw a man with glowing eyes watching him in the dark of the theater. The man followed him home on his walk home, but always stayed in the shadows and could never quite see him very well. well that uh-huh. sounds very scary. It is very it scary. It is quite scary. You know what? You're only making him more sympathetic. <laughs> to okay. us. All right. Later, Bender was sent into a trance state, a trance state by telepathy. So somewhere, someone somewhere was putting him into a trance and he levitated above the floor of his attic room. Oh, Ooh. exorcist. Probably some exorcist-like. His room would, at times, be filled with a stench of burning sulfur. Oh, uh, oh, he just farted. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so, but no, if it's your own. 
Maybe it's his stepdad downstairs. Oh, and it wafted up. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. These were scary times for him, but they were only yeah. a hint of what was to come. Oh, no. That was when, of course, the three men in black showed up at his home, presumably. You know which is weird because, what, did they knock on the door and then did the mom let him in and say, oh, he's up here. Holla, Albert, you have company. I don't she know. was probably like, oh, my God, does he have fucking friends? Yeah, come on in. Yeah, you can see him. Jesus. Wow, now who's being judgy again? So you two have just been judgy over the course of the last. Okay, that's fine. Don't that's try that. That's cool. That's cool. Don't try it. As we know, they wore identical black suits and shoes and ties, white shirts, but they also had black gloves on, interestingly. Uh, oh, ooh, that kind of got, got lost in the lore over time. To hide their talons. <laughs> ooh, good one. Their lizard one. skin. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, no. Well, their faces are out there. So, well, they have well, masks, you know, but they can't yeah. have gloves and masks. It's all really? too expensive. Okay. <laughs> oh, we forgot our gloves. I don't know. Put some black gloves on. They don't have the budget. Yeah, maybe. Quote. They floated, they floated about a foot off the floor. Uh, what? Just levitating yep. through the home yep. like an epi- That is funny They absolutely hell. did. Uh, Still with a the quote. They looked like clergymen but wore hats similar to Homburg style. No idea what that is. Didn't look uh, it up. Oh, yeah, you do. Okay. Oh, okay. Apparently I'll show I do. you later. <laughs> the faces were not clearly discernible for the hats partly hid and shaded them. The eyes of all three figures suddenly lit up like flashlight bulbs. They seemed to burn into my very soul as the planes of, uh, I'm sorry, as the pains above my eyes became almost unbearable, wrote Aww. Bender. So they, their eye, they float in, they're scary looking, their eyes light up, and I don't know, lasers or something yeah, like that, like but he feels eyes. pain above his eyes. So the men in black, they told Bender their, their human appearance was mere illusion, that they kidnapped real humans and they used the bodies to create this appearance. So they were kind of like early oh, Hannibal Lecter going on here. Except they went full Hannibal with the whole body, not just the face. I applaud their gamesmanship. Love it. Y'all got to hear him say Hannibal Lecter. Isn't it? What is it? Is what? it, is just, it Lecter? It's just Hannibal Lecter. Okay, that was a typo. <laughs> no, I love it. He says this every time. It's been years. I, it what, was it your chuckle. autocorrect? It was my autocorrect, yeah. It actually almost certainly was. No, it right? wasn't. If I wrote lector, it's going to turn into lector. No. Ah, let's go with that. Autocorrect knows what lector no, is. No, 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 no. I think they do. Hannibal Lecter and everybody. <laughs> they had a vague blue aura around them. Ooh. And Bender noticed a faint whiff of sulfur. sulfur. With there, a pH. Uh, I no. go with the F. I get it. PH is too English. We're in America, yeah. yeah. Their eyes had tiny, shiny lights, as we know, like little bulbs. They <laughs> communicated with uh, telepathy, though, not through speech. Even with him? Yes. They gave Ooh. him a metal disc with instructions, and they told him very clearly, I guess tele- telepathically, so to he, stop publishing right now. He invented the CD. Yes. He may have, yes. Yeah. He's writing this in 1962, so yeah. pretty impressed, Albert. Oh, me too. They derisively told him that even if he told people about this whole incident, no one would believe him, so why yeah. bother? They're not wrong. Mm-mm, they aren't. Although nowadays, I think they'd generally be believed. Listen well, to us right now. We don't believe him. We yeah. don't, but we're not the norm. <laughs> a lot of people would believe. How, how's that? A lot of people. Yeah. Anybody who watches That's the true. Learning Channel, Discovery, or History Channel the would believe him. Learning Channel. Yeah. The TLC inaptly named do. TLC. They UFOs. do shit. Are you kidding me? No, they don't do UFO. They don't? Okay, Jump, Discovery they and do, History. How's that? They do. 90 Day Fiance. Yeah. Oh, do they? All the Whatever. reality stuff. Discovery, History Channel, 24-7 bullshit. Should be ashamed of themselves. True. The Men in Black even stole his copies of Space Review that they had there in the room <laughs> with them, and then they left the room in a yellow fog. 
Oh. I'm going to assume they also Sorry. tipped over the end table and they yeah. messed with his uh, puzzle, his thousand piece uh, puzzle. Just <gasps> they to... hit a couple of the pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, still his face review. That's hilarious. <laughs> and now we'll show you. And they slammed the door and they were out real loud. And I they know. stepped on his Air Jordans. <laughs> they were kind of like MIB dicks. <laughs> so during the encounter, though, the men in black took him on their ship to their secret base in Antarctica. Or possibly the Arctic. Sources vary. Or it was all telepathically through like astral projection. We're not completely sure from his writings. Yeah. So it could have been a ship, could have been astral projection. But anyway, somehow, some kind of magic transport, he was able to visit their secret base in Antarctica. And there the aliens told him all about UFOs and flying saucers and everything. They showed him around. They showed him their hangars, their laboratories. They're very trusting people. What the fuck? Very nice. They even took him to see their boss. This was a nine-foot-tall being called the Exalted One, Mm. who Bender described as, quote, bisexual. (laughs) What? We assume that means... This oh. had both sets of equipment, not yeah. orientation. Yeah. So but that's uh, funny because he deaf yeah. and that means. In 1962. How'd you find that out, exactly. Bender? In 1962, wouldn't that, would that be a normal, would, would a bisexual? Um, I don't know. I, I have no idea. So. I have no idea if that was yeah. an accepted orientation word or not. I don't so, know. When did Alfred Kinsey do his thing? Uh, 50s, 60s. Yeah, but that was, I don't know. Yeah. So their mm-hmm. quest, the alien's quest on Earth was to take our water to extract some kind of element hey. from our water. There's only they had, two. They had run out of the of that element back at home. Colin uh, bullshit right there because yeah. there's only two elements in water and both of them are pretty fucking abundant. They promised to return the water that they didn't use. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, the earth needs water. Can earth I actually read that earth can actually manufacture a little bit of water, but like in deep down sources, maybe. In the mantle. But otherwise, but but if if someone if we lost a lot of water. Somehow, oh. in some kind of event, like aliens stealing it from us, hmm. we'd be in deep shit. Oh, yeah. Water is, yes. Yeah. So anyway, the aliens told him they'd first hmm. shown up back in 1945 to get our water. <laughs> and they promised they'd leave by 1960. Remember, this, this visitation was supposedly in 1953. So they had a schedule, and they stuck to it. And then uh, later, or possibly before this incident, the MIBs showed him their power. So Bender was relaxing at a theater again, watching a movie. And suddenly, a huge monster appeared in the seat next to him. Okay, this is Uh-oh. Donnie Darko. Uh, a little bit. I, I, apparently, no one else had noticed because the monster then morphed into the shape of a man, a man in black. Huh. So Bender was scared, and he, that's why he didn't talk about the men in black, at least after he told the newspapers about it back in <laughs> 1953. And then... Again, not until you wrote a book about it in 1962. But hey, maybe because he knew they'd be gone by 1960. So in 62, he figured they're yeah. gone now. I can write my book. Yeah. So let's but give him the benefit of the doubt. No? You don't want to? No, I think, yeah, if they're capable of coming to Earth and stealing their water, they can probably monitor and check if you're talking after the fact. Probably so. They have a brat. You think they can monitor Earth? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> The initial I see nothing st- wrong with what I said. <laughs> you said Hannibal Lecter, bitch, and what did you? What else did you say? Vanquish. You can't say anything to anybody. Ah, uh, vanquish. The initial stories in the local papers, by the way, didn't have any of that supernatural stuff. It was just, hey. In fact, here's a quote. <laughs> hey. Well, hey. These, Could you these, imagine? These men in black came to see me. They told me to stop publishing. That's what he told the papers at the time. Okay. He said, quote. 
They flashed credentials showing them to be the representatives of a higher authority and tell them <laughs> oh to God. cut it out. So that's what he told the papers at the time. I love that. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. okay. The higher credentials was this like a higher authority. I don't know. Triangular yeah. shaped piece of cardboard <laughs> that they, they showed him. Crayon. Here it is. That's where I, I am be. important. <laughs> they also quizzed him about the IFSB, but that's about it. All the other stuff with the exalted one, the bisexual, and all that, and how they told him <laughs> everything is uh, was weighted for the 1962 books. So, well, it's a little too much for the maybe, whatever it was, maybe. Bridgeport Tribune. Bridgeport Tribune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bridgeport, yeah. So despite all of these, uh, all the aliens having left by 1960, though, Men in Black exploded in the 60s and 70s and so on. Remember the comics, the movies? They could come oh, back. Comics. Yeah, I suppose they did. They must have. Uh, and again, Men in Black were made to order for that paranoid delusion of the true believers. Yeah. You know, they needed, they were the ideal boogeyman. They're perfect. They fit it. Perfectly. They were concrete. Concrete. <laughs> they weren't just a nine foot exalted one, you know, or something. The they, were, they were actually. That's David Bowie. <laughs> again, I, I think the early, with the early stories were really generally meant to indicate that they were government agents, I think. That sounds like it. Uh, but again, also, well, there, as I mentioned, there were a lot yeah, of stories that made them seem kind of alien and kind yeah. of weird. So. Either or, way, they or were scary. perhaps Japanese. Perhaps, possibly, <laughs> possibly. So, and, and they became ever more conspiratorial. And as the, as the UFO movement became more conspiratorial, Men in Black became more and more prominent. Yeah. It, it makes perfect sense. And, and they're legitimized by the nature of their warnings. So, in other words, for saying, um, you know, they're... Hold on, I'm going to think of this. <laughs> if there wasn't something to UFOs, then there wouldn't be scary people telling you true believers to stop talking about UFOs. That's yeah. the logic. Mm -hmm. So that makes them, they're, they're self-fulfilling fantasies, right. essentially. And they can get weird. One encounter from a guy named Dr. Herbert Hopkins, who was a hypnotherapist in Maine who investigated alien abductions. This is, I think, oh. the 70s or 80s. So he's a credible there. source. Total credible source. His <laughs> man in black was hairless and wore lipstick. Oh. Okay. I got <laughs> issues. <laughs> I got issues. <laughs> yeah, he was a... And as the, as the interview went on, the, the, his man in black started to sort of just like run out of energy. And finally he says, my energy is running low. Must go now. And he stumbled out the door. That was a drag queen. <laughs> they had just come from the club. They, would they were exhausted. Up since up 11 night. p.m. Yep. <laughs> so that's a scary story, but it's the kind of story that could buff up the resume of a hypnotherapist who makes money from yeah. people who think they've been abducted by aliens. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, some say that Men in Black are not so much a cover-up as a counterintelligence operation. This is the opposite. Essentially, it's saying the government is the government is making up Men in Black to make UFO people look stupid or to cover oh, up something I else see. that it, it, it's due to UFOs. There's all kinds of, I mean, it goes yeah. down a huge rabbit hole if you want to. That's, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. It's a few too far, too many leaps. Yeah. There. It's messing with the true believers to maybe like make them look bad or, or to misdirect them from what really is happening. That's the, you know. I was thinking that earlier. Really? I was so like, yeah. That's been in the lore for a long time that they're, they're not, hey guys, they're not. It's almost like everybody believes in Men in Black, and then there's got to be a, something to mix that up a little bit. Whoa, okay, they're not what you think they are. They're not there to cover up UFOs. They're there to cover up something else yeah. and, and whatever. Obfuscate. Hmm. So why did Albert Bender do what he did? Was it saving face? Was he just delusional? Was it a prank? Did he dream it? Some friends thought he dreamed the initial encounter and just took it too seriously. Or did it really happen? Well. Did Men in Black... And monsters and flights to Antarctic <laughs> and alien bases and nine foot alien bisexual overlords all really happen. Let's let's 
Let's well, be open-minded. My real shot right. in the dark? Yeah. <laughs> I got Good. one. Yeah. Here's the thing. Him. Maybe the real I question... Know. Maybe the, the real question is, did Bender make it up, or did he did he himself really believe it? In 1953... I think he did. Well, I, I think he did, too. Me Here's too. why. In 53, there... So before Bender sort of threw in the towel and had this story, there was a report called the Robertson Panel Report that came out. It was commissioned by the CIA. Ooh. It told... How, it was sort of a report on the initial findings of Project Blue Book, which it was already a thing. That was the... the um, the agency or, or the government program to look into reports of flying saucers and UFOs. It, and mm-hmm. it existed, and they did. And this report said that no, the Project Blue Book had found no alien UFOs that were at all credible. But in a footnote, though, there was this reference to a private to private UFO groups and how they should be watched, monitored, because they had the potential to influence public opinion irresponsibly. So Bender read this report. It was a public report. He read everything like that. He would have read that footnote. Did he read that footnote? Oh, and apparently, yeah. and he just obsess over it and think, oh my God, they're talking they're about me and my me. IFSB. Yeah. They're watching me. My space after review. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Did he take it to mean that they were, the government was monitoring mm-hmm. him and, and I see he it. should be scared? He, did he and he'd take that kernel and just build it into this big fantasy? And maybe he did have some kind of a dream or delusion. And Hallucination. Yeah, who knows? We don't know. And again, the, the initial 53 report was just these three scary men told me to stop. In 60, who knows, maybe in 1962, he was just, he's just trying to sell a book. Yeah. He, yeah. With all the, you know, the nine foot eight yeah. and overload stuff. Maybe. So I don't know. I don't maybe. know. It's not clear. Maybe. Or, or alternatively again, was it a joke? Gray Barker, who appropriated Bender's story 19, for the 19, his 1956 book, he was, again, as I mentioned, he was kind of a fraud. Yeah. A, a, a guy named John Sherwood, who worked, worked with Barker for years and noted all of his hoaxes and fabrications, he swore that Barker told him he, Barker, came up with the whole Men in Black story in 56 as a joke. Wait. That, that, he, that hmm. I don't know. I could see Craig Barker t- trying to take credit Gray for Barker. something. Yes, I could too. He's a, he's, yeah. again, he's not a reliable source in any way, shape, or form. But at least that. He said, I made it up. I embellished it. It was a joke. But again, Albert Bender told the newspapers and right. apparently told friends yeah. back in 53 about yeah. these three guys. At the very least, he said, three guys, they're dressed in black, drove a black car, and they told me to stop. So, yeah, Gray Barker. Benders. Yeah. Or Sorry, al- Barker. alternate solution? Yes. It all really happened. Or it did. Yeah. Is that your shot in the dark? It's yeah. possible. Okay, Jack. I, I cannot say. Well, Here's. my real shot in the dark, honestly, is that poor little Bender there might yeah. have a little bit of schizophrenia or yeah. something like that yeah. going on. He doesn't change my feelings about him at all. You Me like too. Him. You like him. Yeah. Right. I mean, all of that he, stuff before. He's the underdog. He's the true hero of this story. Absolutely. Honestly, yeah. Ab- mm-hmm. Although, the, and the true victim again is the dog that died from the debris. <laughs> and the the people that died in the plane. Yeah, those two guys. Yeah. Yeah. The Air Force that's people. That too. Mm-hmm. That's that too. Albert is Bender. Is that true? That's like for real, for real? I, I, you know, I think so. It's told as if it's true, but you never know in this kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. If that's for real, for real, them too. Yeah, I agree. And the dog probably didn't die. The dog probably didn't Although die. maybe they killed the dog <laughs> just to make it more realistic. Ah. This, they were trying to, uh, wouldn't put it past him. I was going to say he was an abusive dad. He broke his Oof. kid's son. Oh. Or he is broke it? his kid's yes. arm. He, yes. he killed the dog. Yes. Oh my goodness. And I believe you. had to come up with a story about this it. This is what I mean, you guys. Mom is such a downer. She's dark. <laughs> She's dark. She's she true. always goes for the darkest, most like she family is. annihilator type. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, what? I don't know where that came from. Anyway. Let's end the story with what happened to Albert Bender. 
He married Aww. Betty Rose in 1954, Betty just about a year after all this stuff happened. Yeah. He married you. She was also an early believer in UFOs and flying saucers and a Never. big fan of his through his uh, magazine. So they, so they were a good match. And they were a great cute. match. She also believed she had been visited by supernatural beings, Uh-oh. but she wasn't sure what they were. They left Bridgeport there and they is. settled in California <laughs> in 1956. Hey. Albert Bender died on March 29th, 2006. Teen oh, at the age of ninety four. Missed him. I know. If I had known that four years ago, I would have wanted to interview him. Yeah, it's too bad. Where in California? Do you know? Didn't say. I, nothing I found. Bridgeport, exactly. California. No, Isn't there a Bridgeport probably, in California? I don't believe there is. No. Never mind. Hmm. Um, so that's the story of Albuquerque Bender and the origin of Men in Black. He, I did definitely. He he invented them accidentally in a sense. Wait, did they have children? I don't know, Gary. I don't know anything else about what I said about them. Nothing else. I'm going on Ancestry.com. Okay, you do that. I applaud <gasps> I your I can effort. find them. She probably can. She can. Shit. She'll find them. So, that's it. Any questions? Any thoughts? Any comments? I already said my thoughts. Okay. Yeah, we've kind of already covered it. All right, all right. I'm just throwing it out there. That's okay. <laughs> I keep my peace. Hopefully, brought, that's a story that you didn't know. Because I didn't know that. They should have made a movie about <laughs> Bender. Yes. Yeah, you write it. No. Oh, well, shit. <laughs> not, I mean, yeah. It had to be a des- descent into madness. No. Know. Yeah, you wouldn't like it then. Because that's how I'd make it into. And then Carrie would make it into like a family and neither. No, I'd make movie. it Walter Mitty-ish where oh, it I was like all it. true. It was really... Like ha- it. You don't know. Was yeah. it in his mind yeah. or did it really happen? Yeah. Would you, sh- on the bisexual nine foot alien over- overlord, <laughs> how would you demonstrate that, it, that it's bisexual? David Bowie. Would it would be David, David Bowie. What? So he's dead. Or Grace he was bisexual. Yeah, but he's dead. So well, yeah, he was an alien. Yeah, it's taking the form of David Bowie to oh, signify his bisexuality. <laughs> I like it. No, but, I, but again, we mean bisexual by two sets I of know. equipment. How are you going to show that? Are you going to show full frontal? Maybe it was just a very androgynous person. Maybe. A, an androgynous looking person. Okay. Yeah. Let's go with that. Being I'm glad he didn't call to say hermaphrodite. Yeah. I'll no. give him that. No, yeah. he didn't. He said yeah. bisexual. <laughs> that might be worse. Yeah. No, no. I, in no. Okay. Anyway, that's the story. It's a good one. Black. Thank you. Interesting. Yeah. Carrie? What? Tell them stuff. Uh, this is Weird World Podcast, and you That's can find intro. us uh, on weirdworldpodcast.com, at gmail.com, on Facebook, and Instagram, and Patreon. And Twitter. Mm, that would be Weird World Pod, and you'll no. be disappointed. Stop it. <laughs> wow. It's terrible. You don't tweet. No, I don't. Okay, then. I keep on saying, I, I'll start, but I'm, I'm not going to. You never do. Anyway, you're okay. welcome. Thanks and, for listening. And really, thank you for listening. <laughs> and see you soon, Jordan. Okay, bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. You know, more than Jordan is listening. I hope you realize that. Yeah, but that was the shout out that we 